All right. So, you know, a lot of things are happening. Uh, I just got back from an incredible Asia trip. I saw uh, uh, Tokyo, I saw Hong Kong, and yes, that's right, South Korea. At a time when relations are so difficult with America, and uh, I'm talking about the North Koreans in particular, I obviously did not go to North Korea. Uh, I have no interest in being kidnapped or being accused of being a spy or otherwise. But anyway, um, it, but it brought home the whole point of, you know, our relationship with Asia, um, which is fantastic with Japan. It's fantastic with South Korea and Hong Kong, for that matter. Uh, you know, less, uh, less great with China, but that's always been a kind of a, a strange bedfellow situation with China, right? Um, Trump has been doing some very good maneuvering when it comes to playing... Uh, China off of uh, Russia and emboldening, uh, kind of weaning himself away from Russia, such that our attempts to be friendly with Russia, what everyone, all the Democrats thought we were going to be somehow so friendly, uh, and that it's all this Russian collusion and such like that, when in fact we're actually going hard against the Russians and embracing the Chinese, certainly using them for North Korea's, uh, uh, you know, to tame North Korea. Anyway, I, I bring this all up because shortly after the, the trip, I ended up going to this uh, very nice dinner with some folks, uh, a few couples out there, and many conservative, a uh, couple of liberal couples as well. And one of the guys uh, in, the, in the liberal couple said, you know, when they were speaking about uh, North Korea and such, that the problem was that we were being so bellicose and so outrageous and demanding so many things, and now uh, little, little, uh, what, what did you want to call, call him? Lil Kim. Lil Kim. L apostrophe. Lil Kim. You know, like the rapid girl, Lil Kim from Puff Daddy's. Yes, yes. Lil Kim. We'll call him Lil Kim. So uh, the, fat, the fat little kid, <laughs> as John McCain said about him, which I, I like about John McCain. He got something right. Anyway, so little Kim, you know, we don't want to disturb him. And if we're, you know, sending ships uh, to the uh, peninsula, well, by golly, he's going to get all angry. And that's just not the way you gain peace, uh, which begs the question, how do you gain peace, my friends? Do you, you know, I wanted to ask him that very question. I, just, I didn't want to get into an argument about it, but he believed that we were all liberal, which was interesting because sometimes you, you get that, uh, especially in a West L.A. crowd. So it was, it was worthwhile well, uh, listening to you him. You need to let me come to one of these dinners sometime. Just to... <laughs> no, you, I do not want you with this dinner. Are you dinner. sure? No, I'm positive. <laughs> yes. Why? I, I what could go wrong? I can, exactly. <laughs> I can never be more sure about anything. <laughs> you know, I was pretty sure about marrying my wife, <laughs> but I'm even more sure about not having you at any of these dinners. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, you know, so these, these little guys are talking about, uh, you know, how we, we dare not ruffle their furs because, you know, that's just not the way peace is achieved. So I wanted to ask this guy, but I didn't. I, I held my tongue. I let him continue on. And him continuing on was basically saying, look, you know, we had Obama and we had Clinton and they, they knew not to ruffle the fur and you kind of, it's a delicate balance of all this diplomacy. Oh, yeah, it sure is. It's, it's like, you know, dealing with the schoolyard bully. If you don't want to do anything and you just give them your lunch money, yeah, you'll have peace. It's a humiliation of a peace, but you'll have peace. Idiot. Uh, I, really, I wanted to call him an idiot at the same time, but I just... I was nodding my head, you know, just kind of to enjoy the, um, you know, the, the, the sense of discussion with him. Um, but really, I, I, in my mind's eye, I was thinking, wow, you're, he, he was clearly older than me. And I said, I can't believe you've been on this planet this long and, and that you would come to this conclusion. Really? <laughs> you, you, you could believe this, yes. right? And, and to say nothing of the fact that... that Little, little, uh, little Kim and his father before him and his grandfather before him, you know, they, they would consistently uh, just get stronger and stronger over the so-called peaceful years with uh, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter before him, and, um, and of course, Obama later on. Uh, that's all. They just got stronger and stronger. What do yeah. you think would happen? Anytime there was a Democrat president, they got stronger. Yeah. Anytime there was a Republican president, the opposite. Right. Well, you do the math. <laughs> 
And, and, and Reagan, it was exactly the same thing with Reagan and the, and the former Soviet Union, where they were saying, oh, my gosh, you're talking in such bellicose terms. You're going to start World War III, right? I mean, it's, it's exactly the same thing on a much grander scale, of course. Uh, the Soviet Union was much larger than North Korea is now. And uh, the fear was that terrible things would happen, that he would just de- unleash this torrent of nuclear uh, you know, a nightmare upon all of us. World War III, like I said. And uh, it didn't happen. On the contrary, the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, was there a bellicose uh, a, a response to that? Yeah. There was a lot of military parades. Let's show our stuff. Let's project our power and, and to the world. Just, and, and that's exactly what North Korea is doing now. They're, they're launching a whole bunch of missiles into the sea onto pretend warships to show that they can, they can fight real hard if they want to, don't you know? But, but Saddam Hussein said the same thing during the second uh, Gulf War, where they said, you, you fight us, and also the first Gulf War, for that matter. You will launch an attack upon us, and this will be the mother of all wars. Remember that, yeah. right? And you will all be boiling in your own blood, right? I mean, it was such a, it was so, like, cheesy, and, and I remember people coming back saying, oh, my gosh, maybe we've gone too far. They're going to boil us in our own blood, they said. Oh, okay. Right. Like they've got this, like this program, <laughs> like a brochure. If you go to war with us, here's what's going to happen. Page one, be boiled in your own blood. Right. I mean, what, they, they don't even, even think for a moment that this might be puffery on the part of the, uh, the bad guys who want to dissuade us, shall we say, uh, from, from projecting our military power into the region. Uh, but this is the way it works, folks. Okay? It, it, it's going to be this way. You, if you want to deal with the bully, guess what? The bully is going to, to, to scare and try to, to intimidate you. But you, if, you, if you show them your own muscle and you actually prepare for a fight with them, yeah, it's daunting. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking. But it's, it's the necessary thing to do. If you don't do it, then the bully... You know, has the upper hand, and he only gets stronger. He demands lunch money from everyone now. It, why? This is so basic, isn't it, Ari? And and yet that we have to explain this to, to people like this this friend of mine at this party. Oh, nice more, guy, right? Well, hold on, but nevertheless, time out there. Explain. <laughs> Here we go. It's even worse than that. Yeah. Because in 1994, they did a great nuclear deal with North Korea, in which North Korea promised Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter that we will only use our nuclear program for peaceful purposes. Right. You know, 20 years, uh, 12 years later, kaboom. Right. So this year, this last year, we have an Iran deal. And you can yeah. just see the future of that area of the, the world being the same as what we have today with, with uh, North Korea because of the same political parties, policies done in the exact same way with the same kind of untrustworthy dictator. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. You, you're so wrong on this. Clearly, you're not seeing the difference between the two. Because in the North Korea situation, they're speaking Korean. In the Iran situation, they speak Farsi. Okay. You see the difference? Q-E-D. Okay, there's no difference, folks. Time out one (laughs) more time, Barack. I have to say something. I was actually at a very similar liberal dinner. Plus, plus, the Iranians, they like Middle Eastern food. And the Koreans like Korean food. Big difference. Okay, I have to tell you something, how right you are with your little satire there. Because it becomes non-satire, unfortunately, becomes pure farce. I was at a dinner with a liberal, dear friends of my wife and I, and he's a prosecuting attorney, a prominent one, and he said those exact arguments seriously. (laughs) You gotta be kidding. Among other things, he said, because I was talking about, because he's Jewish, so I was like, you know, you don't think uh, Obama is a bigger threat to Israel and the Jews than Trump is, you right. know, after the Iran deal? Right. Classic. And he says, Obama would never do anything ter- bad to Israel. Obama knew exactly what he was doing with the Iran deal. Obama, then he goes to these non sequiturs. I swear to God, ex- these were the exact words. He went words. to the food hold and on, the language? Hold on, he said, he said, Obama went to Harvard. He's brilliant. He was the editor of the Law Review. I, of course, interject, well, show me something he's written. <laughs> you can't answer exactly right. He He's went to college. He's educated. And he knows there are these differences. Like, for instance, 
in Iran they speak Farsi, and in North Korea they speak Korean, and they have totally different dialects. And you know what? Iran is a theocracy. They're atheists in North Korea. They're a. I, I mean, it was exactly what you were just making fun right. of. Yeah, that's right. You know, and that's why I said I want to go to your liberal friends' dinner because I'm not friends with that person, so I could just unleash and not yeah, care. <laughs> These people are dear friends of ours, and I have mercy on them. We could play good, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, you I could suppose. go to theirs. Yeah, right. I'll go Mind to yours. And <laughs> that's right. But but the Koreans eat kimchi. Yeah, they like and the, the Iranians like pistachios. Right. <laughs> so totally different kinds of nuts. <laughs> Oh, you know, the Koreans, they have the hot pot, and the Persians, they like rice. Well, wait a minute. I well, you the know Koreans what? like rice, too. You know, a long but time one's basmati and one's short grain. A, a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a long time ago, there was a, a Saturday Night Live skit called um, uh, Mr. Short-Term Memory, right? Yes. <laughs> and just to set it up for those who don't know that one, it, it's... Uh, you see, uh, Tom Hanks was the the guest host, and and he was the featured guy, and he was, he was Mr. Short Term Memory, and it's a guy, and they had the little intro saying Mr. Short Term Memory, da da da, you know, one of those things, and and you see this guy, and and he's you know in walks Tony Randall in some sort of convention room, and Tom Hanks playing Mr. Short Term Memory sees Tony Randall and says, Hey, you're Tony Randall, like I, I love your shows and everything else, and and. Tony Randall, who's actually Tony Randall, says, oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And then after two seconds, he says, hey, you're Tony Randall, <laughs> right? And yes, I think we established that. And he goes, I love your shows. And it keeps on going like this. That's what the Democratic Party is. They're Mr. Short-Term Memory. Because it's as if nothing of this has ever played out before. And they're saying again, hey, you're Tony Randall, getting all excited about it. Uh, the, the Iranian deal, you know, is exactly the same thing as the North Korean deal. It's going to play out exactly the same way. They are, in fact, going to go and, and use it for nuclear purposes, uh, you know, deadly purposes as opposed to peaceful purposes. And they will be oh so surprised that, that they've done so. But why should we be? It, it's, it's like that little time bubble that we talked about, right, where they know nothing about what happened uh, 10 seconds before uh, they arrived and have no interest in what's happening 10 seconds in the future. That's the way that the, uh, unfortunately, that the, the, the lefties and for a large part of the liberal party, you know, think. You yeah. can present all these facts to them. I mean, really, I, the, the, when I present the, the North Korean situation to those who are such big fans of the Iranian deal, I say, how can you not learn from what happened in the North Korean deal, right? And, and your friend said, well, you know, the difference is Obama is brilliant, right? He wrote, he, but, but all you have to say is, hey, your friend Bill Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar. Well, who's, and Obama was not even a Rhodes Scholar, right? right. So, I mean, even and, more brilliant, and, quote right. unquote, than Obama. Yeah, and by the way, before November 8th, these people were saying, and I quote congruently, 2016, that Hillary Clinton was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant person. You know, she went to college. She was a lawyer, right? Right. She went to Yale or whatever it is. Yeah. At the conversation we had where they said Obama was the publisher of the Law Review or the Harvard Crimson, whatever the hell it was called, I then go, well, then how did Hillary Clinton lose? I thought she was brilliant. No, she was a horrible candidate. <laughs> In other words, they, they choose not to remember what they want to, not want to remember when it right. doesn't suit their self-image, and then... They can't predict anything in the future because they don't remember because they choose not to. And you know how you and I make all these predictions. And the only thing we're generally wrong about is that we say it's going to happen a little later than it actually does. Right. We're trying to be conservative right. about it. Right. Yeah. We're trying to be humble. <laughs> okay. Sure, you know, okay. It happened tomorrow instead of five years from now. But right. whatever. Um, everything we predict comes true. Yeah. Everything. Because we see it. And we see it. Hold on. But here's my point. Yeah. How often, and this is a question for our listeners, too, who can email you at Barack at whatever your email address is. Barack at Lurie-Law.com. Right. And how many of you have liberal friends who constantly say about politics or world news or current events, well, this is going to be really interesting. We're going we're gonna to have to see what's going to happen here. Yeah. No one can. No one is sure how what's going to happen. No one knows. We're all going to be surprised. And whenever they say it to me, I want to scream at them. No, you idiot! I know exactly what's going to happen, and I just told you. Right. You just chose to forget it again. 
<laughs> Listen, uh, Ari, I'd like you to be a little more animated in our podcasts. Uh, you're a little too calm right now, and I don't, I don't know why. I need you to be more energetic. All right. Am Thanks. I disturbing the people in the law firm again <laughs> while they try to write up their briefs? I worry about Ari. Someone check his blood pressure. All right, don't, don't get him started on Obama, Hillary Clinton, or anything left, socialism, you name it. In fact, anything. <laughs> oh, and don't get him started about recycling, which we will be talking about. Oh, man. I, I like you, Ari. I don't want you to die. You know, maybe we should talk about something that's far more sanguine and, and, and far more peaceful. I don't know. Let's talk about architecture. How about that? Okay, like let's that? do it. No. Well, I'll tell you about how <laughs> stupid I think Agenda 21 architecture is and how much it pisses me off right, I'm taking, that people are enslaved by architecture. I'm, talking about, I'm taking back the mic now. <sighs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so, See how it doesn't matter about the subject? Yes, get apparently. He'll get angry anyway. Uh, I, I forget where we were. Anyway, I, I, I think that on the um, – uh, about the predictions that we're talking about – you're correct, and uh, we do not just tend to get it right. We always get it right. We always get it right. Uh, even the prediction that, that we made on this podcast that Hillary would lose the election, right? I mean, we, we go through the things, and every one of them actually played out. We not only predicted that she would lose. It wasn't just a, a flip of the coin in my head or I just want to do 50-50 analysis. It wasn't luck. It was every single factor that we listed as the reason why she will lose played into it. Every single one, including the misogyny one, saying not that, that, that men are misogynist, but that the women are, right? And the headwind of the fact that, you know, two terms in office versus three terms and, and all that stuff. Uh, there are a lot of things that we talked about. And what's discombobulating a little bit about our predictions, and I, I think that you feel the same way, Ari, is that when we make the predictions, when we are bold enough to say, this is here, we are hereby making a Barack Lurie podcast prediction. We've thought about it a lot, and we know it's going to happen. And that, that scares us. When, when we tell you that Notre Dame is going to be a mosque in approximately 12 years now, because we predicted it three years ago, therefore 15 years, blah, blah, blah. When we tell you that, we don't like that because we know it's going to happen because all of our predictions do come true. We see these patterns that happen. It's not that we're geniuses. We simply gather up the facts that we see around us. We see the trends because we don't live in a time bubble after all, do we? We're not like the leftists who ignore the past. We see the past. We know the trends. We know about human nature. We know how things work. And this is, it's, it's so inevitable. Uh, now, of course, should uh, France uh, or for that matter, Europe take a complete conservative turn somehow, uh, then we've got a shot, of course. And I, and believe me, I would love to be wrong on this. It's not as if I'm going to be jumping up, hooray, hooray, when, when Notre Dame turns into a mosque and say, look how smart we are. I don't want to be smart. I don't, I don't want to be that, you know, quote, unquote, smart. Uh, I don't want to be that prescient, as uh, somebody else might describe it. I, I want to be wrong on that. I want, I want to see Europe flourish into a free market, a truly free market enterprise where free speech and religion dominate the Judeo-Christian um, uh, religion dominates. That's what I want to see. You want to see that as well. But sadly, that ain't going to happen. It's, there are too many factors that are in play here. Another thing that we can predict, uh, and we predicted, predicted on this show before, is the collapse of Venezuela and all socialist countries for that matter. There's not... Oh, yeah, that was easy. No, it's, it's really well, too easy. Yeah. We're not brilliant. <laughs> you know, but... But fancy that! Look, yeah. I, I can't believe it collapsed. Right, out of money, them. You know, no. I, feel, I feel a little bit like when we make these predictions, I feel like it's unfair. Like, like you know, sometimes you can fool a kid and you you say, "Hey, you know, here's a quarter. I can make it disappear, right?" And you put it behind your back. Where's the quarter, right? And or better yet, you can make a prediction that the sun will rise at exactly six fifty-seven tomorrow morning. Right. Let's say. Why do you know that? Because you, you've checked the newspaper. Right. But to the kid, he thinks you're magical, you know, that you've made it happen. And you, in fact, you might even say, I hereby command you, son, to rise now. Right. And there it comes. So from the kid's point of view, it sounds like, wow, it seems like that you've you've made this happen. Not only have you predicted it, but you've made it happen. But that's that's not the case. You know, and that's that's the perspective from the lefties. We're telling you. We told you that Venezuela will collapse. We'll tell you not only that, but every socialist country will collapse. It either has to makes a decision to go 
to the right, which is very hard to do because once you start entitlements, it's very hard to get rid of them, or uh, they collapse. It's just, it's one or the other. And they have to collapse. They almost always collapse uh, unless that, that hard decision is made. There is one exception about the hard decision that was made, and we never made that prediction, frankly, because I was too young. Uh, it's Israel. Israel was a far more socialist country. It still has some socialist tendencies in, in that country, but they made a hard decision to go capitalist. They, they freed up their markets dramatically in 1993. Everything changed. They made a hard decision, and thank God they did. Uh, now, now Israel is a far more robust economy. Uh, it is a free enterprise economy. It's the tech haven that, that we all know today. Uh, Israelis are having kids galore, which yeah. is wonderful. There's actually another one. Ireland, same thing. That's right. Good example. Right? Very but good you example. you know what's interesting about both? Yeah. Hmm. I think both of those countries have really strong connections to a certain religious tradition. Hmm. Yeah, you interesting. You know, that interesting. kind of yeah. leads people to common sense conclusions somehow. It, it gives them perspective, yeah. yeah. These crazies who believe in uh, this this fanciful, invisible God or or that the Jesus who was a Messiah or some kind of walked on water, those crazy people, they seem to have such great common sense. I wonder why. I wonder how that's possible. But that's another story. Right, but you did say something that was so beautiful in passing and ironic, Iraq, that I can't help but just bring it up for a second. You were talking about the almanac entries of a newspaper that tell you the sunrise and sunset sure. every day and tomorrow's yeah. not right? And how do you know that? Because you read the newspaper. How is it that liberals can't make the predictions on the things that we know about? Right. Because they've read the same newspaper. <laughs> yeah, it's true. How do we know this? Because we don't read that newspaper and we've read the conservative, correct, real news, yeah. not the fake as I call it, Pinch's Loaf News of the New yeah. York Times oh, so. or the incredible shrieking paper, the L.A. Times. Or the Leave it to Ari to, to, to come up with the most gross <laughs> metaphor possible. Anyway, uh, look. Hold on. Pinch Salzburger is the actual publisher of the New York Times. <sighs> so what's wrong with calling it Pinch's Loaf? Yeah, okay, so we're moving on <laughs> on this issue. Come on, that's good. <laughs> but socialism always collapses. And uh, we made predictions of, of uh, Venezuela and otherwise. It has to happen. And, and likewise, we can make predictions of the kind of ebbs and flows of American politics as well. Look, the reality is that whenever we have a great uh, boom in the economy... Uh, then, then of course we have riches galore, and everyone's got uh, you know money, and and uh, there's innovation and prosperity. Uh, and when that happens, then all of a sudden the liberals come in and say we can share the wealth, let's share the wealth, and then we just go back descending into this madness all over again. So it's a cycle, and we we predict that you know right now, uh, you know I, I think that Trump will win re-election in 2020. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons. One is that I think he'll be successful, but also it, it's easier for the incumbent to win re-election. That's just the way it works. Um, and in 2024, there's a high chance that a Democrat will come into power again. Hopefully a more moderate Democrat, but nevertheless, there's, there's, it's more likely than not that a Democrat will come into power. And as I joke around with my liberal friends, who, uh, who are very disturbed, of course, about Trump becoming president, and I say, listen, don't worry about it, you know? These, these next eight years will just blow by. <laughs> and, you know, they, what do you mean eight years? And I, and I just kind of smile at them. It's, yeah, it's going to be eight years, my friend. So in the same way that we suffered through Obama, uh, you're going to have to suffer through Trump. But guess what? You won't be suffering. You will, will not be suffering because, in fact, you can hate him all you want, but you will ride the, the economic wave that he's going to be bringing along with him. Well, everything that he's proposing right now is so... Um, uh, promising for a, a, a booming economy, uh, you know, lowering the regulations, reducing the tax rate, repealing Obamacare and such. Um, I, I think he's doing some very smart decisions. Well, it's, it's good for a free, happy, safe people in this country, and it's good for the people worldwide who have been suffering because of their God Obamas neglect yeah. and, and abuse. Yep. I mean, how, how in your, uh, you know, altruistic visions, your, um, what, what are those words in Hebrew to something the world? Uh, Heal the world, a, a tikkun olam? Yeah, in that tikkun olam, liberal Jewish, you know, lesbian Yeah, but, 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 but wait, tikkun olam is, 
is misinterpreted no, right, by but those lessees. I'm saying yeah. how they define it. Yeah. That whole, you know, you know that heal the that world means that the government we should we should force everyone with laws and otherwise. Yeah, but that's not but what it means. But that's Takuna what they think. How is Takuna playing out for the citizens of North Korea or Iran? Oh, of or the Christians of Syria? Yeah, they, or they the feel the cops of, of Egypt. Oh, but or, or the Muslims around the world. But, are, 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 but, but they have health care in Cuba. Don't you know? And they have full literacy in Cuba. Don't you know? Shame on you for not realizing that very important distinction. But how did Obama not stop the sea level rise? How is global <laughs> warming still a problem? Yeah, apparently. Uh, now, speaking, now that dovetails very nicely into my next topic, which is the topic of school education and recycling. It just so happened that both Ari and I, we talked about this uh, offline before the podcast, that uh, both of our sets of children experience the same thing. Um, in different classrooms. They happen to go to the same, same school, as it turns out. Um, and they had this recycling kind of binge in the school. And Green my, Week. Green Week? Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, something like that. You know, Earth Day, Green right. Week. Right. So my, my daughter comes and presents this kind of bookmark type thing, which is a bunch of stickies that you can take uh, little stickers off. And they're all recycling oriented. You know, uh, you know think green. Um, you know, I'll take out, you know, I'll, I'll, I promise to separate my recyclables from my trash, things like that. And, you know, everyone's got happy faces and there's a cow involved for some reason. Uh, but you get the idea. And A non-flatulent cow, obviously. Yes, of course. So he, uh, she's, she's talking about this and she's saying, you know, isn't this ridiculous, Daddy? Which I agree. It's ridiculous. You know, and I'm so proud of her because, you know, I, I'm helping her to think critically. And I say to her, this is ridiculous. Now, Someone else in the table, my wife, who is uh, she's more moderate uh, in her political thinking, uh, slightly leaning left actually, and she says, "Oh, you know, what's wrong about teaching recycling? Recycling is important. You know, we don't want to have a messy and and polluted world." And I said, "Look, that's all nice and well. That sounds good, but you know, why stop there? Then, you know, I mean, why not teach our kids?" Uh, you know, it's a nice message, she says. Okay, if you think that's a nice message, then why stop there? Because, you know, it's also a nice message to make sure that the boys, uh, you know, put the toilet seat down, right? That, that's an important message. How long do you need to spend on that? You know, one minute. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, how, how about uh, a, a whole class about how we need to uh, not yell? Okay, we'll do that too. How about a whole class about, uh, and a whole, you know, week for that matter, about how we need to use manners and say please and thank you. How about that, right? But you don't see that in the schools. You see a lot about the recycling crap. You see a lot about global warming and how we all need to pitch in our share. But what about pitching in our share to be nice to each other? How about that? Isn't that valuable? And, you know, my wife, God bless her, she's a lovely lady. She's beautiful and everything else. She, she had nothing to say to that. How, uh, you know, you've got tons of things you can talk about that are lovely to talk about. But that would take up the entire school day, nay, the entire school week, nay, the entire school month and year. Where do we learn reading, writing, and arithmetic and analysis? Where? Apparently they're not anymore if no. you see their behavior on college campuses. No, they, they, don't, they don't do that. So, uh, you know, the, and my other kids are chiming in also with their thoughts about it. And they're so well-versed and they're so analytical on this. And why recycling, the whole recycling argument is such garbage but more importantly, how the notion of global warming is such garbage. They understand this so well. And my older son is able to articulate exactly why recycling actually costs more and creates more carbon for the earth. Using their own arguments, you would expect them to hate recycling, right? You would expect them to, to, to drive cars and to not eat meat, for example, uh, because that's where all the flat, you used the word flatulence before. That's far more contributing to carbon emissions than anything else that we otherwise are doing. But no, no, no. You know, it's, it's all a big game at the end of the day. But you said it so well, Ari, um, that the recycling game is a gateway drug to the main um, uh, Century 21. Is it what you call Century 21? Agenda 21. Agenda 21. Century 20 is a real estate agency. Uh, Agenda 21 uh, sort of agenda. That's what, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's, 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 extremism. Yeah, yeah so it, it sounds all nice and well. Hey, don't you agree that recycling is nice? It's hard to disagree with it. 
uh, because there's a whole notion of littering and they kind of they kind of conflate all those issues. So you know it's easy to get a kid to say, yeah, let's be you know let's pick up trash and let's put away things in the recycling bins, which are easy enough to do. So thank you so much, right? But then they get you, you know, once you've gotten that rhythm, well, then you can talk about global warming very easily, too. You know, we need to think twice, you know, in the same way that we recycle. We, we need to think about, what, what is it, uh, use and reuse or whatever the reuse, phrase is? Reuse, recycle, re-something. Yeah, restock or whatever. Yeah, so re- not, repurpose. Well, like like um, Newman from Seinfeld, we're not much for creeds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it is. And... Uh, so that they get them in this rhythm, and then they are told that they're good people if they believe this way, and not good people if you don't. If you don't, exactly and then right. the not good people become enemies of the state, enemies of the people, enemies of the earth. Yeah. They then get bashed in the head by bike locks and bicycle chains at Berkeley by a college professor. Right. That, that, that's right. That's right. And I, I know that seems to the uh, listenership of this show who aren't well versed in conservatism to be a uh, uh, a a bit of an extreme example, but it's actually t- totally what happens. Yeah. Um, Feeney, my wife, the other day was visiting a doctor, uh, like an eye doctor, a specialist, not a regular kind of doctor she sees regularly for something for her eyelid. She gets into a conversation with a guy. She's never met him before, and his kids are in college. And she is just making conversation, says, well, how is this? You know, how, how are they? He goes, I don't know. I'm a liberal guy. And they come home from college and they're screaming at me that I'm a terrible person because I don't listen to every environmental dictate they come up with. Right. Oh, it's weird. And point is... But they don't even the, want you to breathe. Point is, this comes... Right. This comes to connect with the point you made. Mm-hmm. Because they're not taught to be good persons, people, and they're not taught to value other human beings mm-hmm. and not value human liberty and right. value these other things... Instead, that are in direct competition and conflict with human beings, human values, and human liberty. Human beings, human values, and human liberty become not only unimportant, but a direct threat to what they think is the most important thing. Well, yeah, of course. And, and it's, uh, it's a challenge in every respect because you're, you're dealing with an educational system. And it's, it, you can't get away from it. it you, it's not as if it's only in the public schools. It's also in the private schools. It's... it's uh, the feelings orientation. I mean, we have a feelings class in in our school, which I know they, they intend to be very well, and they actually believe this crap. Uh, and you try to tell them the boys don't have the same feelings that girls do. They, they just they don't talk that language and such. But even the feelings class, this global warming and the recycling stuff comes up, and they start saying, "Well, I feel good because I'm recycling. I feel good because I, I care about the planet." Things like that. It bothers me when Johnny is not interested in recycling. So he's made to be an outsider right away. So it's, it's interesting how all, the, all these things do come into play. Um, and, and the recycling, the gateway drug, as you, as you put it, is such a good way of, of analyzing it. Yeah, and, it's and the pa- first free joint the dealer gives you right, exactly. to a much larger world of illegal pharmaceuticals. And it's, you know, it's so harmless. You, know, you take it once in a while, no big deal. Uh, but you know, it does lead to uh, to the heroin. It does lead to the crack cocaine. It does lead to LSD and everything else. You got to be really careful, parents. Understand this. Understand that your kids are being indoctrinated. It seems so innocuous. You know what's wrong with recycling? To use my wife's phrasing, I don't blame her. What's right? What's wrong with telling kids that it's nice to feel good about recycling? Right, but think about just about anything, any agenda item that you want to push, and you can say what's wrong, and you can you can introduce it with a small kernel of something else, and say what's wrong with X. What's wrong with Coca Cola and McDonald's? What's wrong with a Happy Meal? Right, right. What's wrong? Yeah, and, once and in the, a while. The answer right? liberals always say, "Well, that's big business. That's big corporatism." Now you and my response is, "Now you know what's wrong with recycling." That's right. There you go. But, but you can take it away from the recycling. I mean, recycling leads to the global warming argument, right? That's the LSD that we're talking about. But they can get you to do anything. They can say, what's wrong with making sure that people have a fair living wage, right? What's wrong with giving them a little bit more money in their pocket? You could start with that, right? And then, and then once you get them to agree to that phrase, to that way of thinking, then you, you lead them down the path to socialism. Boom. Because then you, get, you, you could say... 
well, what's wrong with making sure that now that they have the higher wage that they can afford the goods that they want to play? So let's have price controls, right? Let's, let's have uh, cost controls of all kinds. Let's ha- also have maximum salaries so that the CEOs can, can't make you know, $15 million per year. They can only make $1 million a year. Yeah, why should people have freedom of travel and freedom to where they choose to locate their lives if we need more doctors over there instead of so many here oh, on good Roxbury? Example. Yeah, uh, what's drive. wrong with that? And by the way, by, tra- by, by constantly uh, going on the train or the plane or the car to vacation and such like that, do you really need that vacation, sir? Because, you know, you're emitting a lot of carbon in the yeah, process. That's, in fact, Obama told us that yeah. on his way to vacation. Well, I guess you all better take a haircut. You're going to have to do with less. Yeah, everyone, Tighten your uh, belts. That's right. Michelle and, that, and I, since we were talking, we're going to go on vacation right now. I'm going to play some golf. And the temperature gauge should go up to 78 degrees instead of the, 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 the more comfortable 72. And everyone's got to sacrifice somehow. That's right. What's wrong with this? So, you know, this, this language that everyone says, not just my wife, they, they all say it. Like, what's wrong with a little bit of this? Yeah. Even when... when um, when Obama uh, approached the idea of 3% more or uh, in taxes, oh, you can afford that. What's wrong with a little bit more so that, that those less fortunate can have some? It just sounds so nice. But that is the gateway drug. And you need to nip it in, in the bud. You need to see it for the evil that it is. This is just a, you know, a, it, it's like a little baby alligators <laughs> that you take home from the pet store. Okay? Yeah, it's so cute. It'll never hurt anyone. <laughs> exactly it right. It just eats insects. <laughs> That's, that, you know what? That's the perfect analogy, don't you think? Like, and not even thinking for a moment that one day little alligators turn into big alligators. And then take off extremely a dangerous. Yes, of yeah. course. And, and you can't solve the problem by flushing them down the toilet. Okay? It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be somebody else's problem. Yeah, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's that simple. These are little, little alligators that they are throwing in our children's lap, and you've got to watch out for them. And, right. and, and, and this is going to lead to our next point, which is about critical thinking. If you are a conservative, and, and frankly, if, even if you're a liberal and you, you believe in being open-minded, truly being open-minded, and understand that there are some basic values that you hold to, such as that education should be only about reading and writing and analysis and such like that and history— if you believe those things, you have those core values, then, then you really need to fight yourself, uh, fight this as well yourself. And not just leave, don't leave it just to the conservatives. We conservatives fight hard because we see, we see this all day long. Um, and it, it sharpens us. It, it's, a, it's a good thing for us in a sense because it creates analytical thinking uh, like uh, that you can't get by simply drinking the Kool-Aid that everyone else is drinking. Uh, uh, certainly among the liberals and the far left. What I like about being conservative, and, you know, look, I'm an optimist. I see the glass half full all the time. Uh, I'm the one who says, look, you know, it's really hard to to go through this process, but it's making us tougher, for example, right? So, I don't know. uh, You know, taking a a couple of losses in court in a a certain case will make you stronger for other cases because you now know what to look out for. You just get more and more... You know, strong. I prefer the chess game analogy instead of <laughs> right, being right. bankrupted by a legal case, but to learn your lessons. No, no, but, but, yeah. but, but you're, but you're, I, but still, you need to better. Yeah, that you learn from other people's mistakes. That's that's, right. that's the best, right? But nevertheless, even your own mistakes in life. You know, when you think about a lot of the things that make you you, a lot of it is the process of mistakes that you've made in your past, and you know whether that's uh, girlfriends that you've may you may have had. Um, you know, other relationships, uh, jobs that you've taken or not taken, you learn, okay? Uh, interactions that you have with people, you learn. And it makes you a stronger person, right? So, so it should be when it comes to um, social issues of the day. We want people, don't we, to be able to not just drink the Kool-Aid and say, okay, yeah, the, whole, the global warming is, is happening. We're all going to be drowning under 20 feet of, of water. And isn't this going to be catastrophic? Don't you want people to say, listen, I, I want to understand this better. How do you come to this conclusion? Instead of telling me that I should, I should come to this conclusion. Don't you want that? And it's not just global warming. It's anything. You, you want to be able to say, how so? Please explain me. Take me one, one, two, three. Yeah, with North Korea. Explain to me, one, two, three. How is it that this nutty country has nuclear weapons again? Yeah. Oh, Democrats. <laughs> right. Now I know who not to vote for. Thank right. you. Yeah. 
That's right. And, and how it is that uh, by, by retreating from the world stage, that somehow we're going to make America stronger and, and not make the enemy stronger? Tell me how that plays out, please. I just want to understand. Because, you know, saying these little memes is one thing, but actually asking them to explain it is another. And, or recycling is a good example there, too, right? It's not just global warming. It's recycling itself. And uh, we ask about the hybrid cars and such like that. Look, I'm all, I'm all about the Prius and everything else. I had a Prius once when I was a single guy. I didn't know you were gay. <laughs> did, did you get converted away from it? Because you have a Land Rover now, which I, means you're not gay. Oh, man. He is so fired, my friends. He is so off this podcast. <laughs> this, this is your last podcast. That was a Sorry, spike in ratings. You have no idea. <laughs> Please. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a gay American, <laughs> my friends. Uh, uh, anyway, I don't even know where I am. Jeez Louise. All right, the Prius, right? So one of the things they don't tell you about the Prius is, you know, and this is analytical thinking, right? right. They never, and any commercial for the Prius says, say that, and, and this is awarded one of the highest safety, you know, settings of all, Right. You know, wins the safety award of all time. No, no, no. It's it's going to be, by definition, it's going to be much more dangerous than other cars. You know, yes, you wear your seatbelt and everything else, and and God help you if you actually get in a in a big accident with, say, a, a Land Rover or any car that's you know a suburban or whatever. Those are big honking cars. Okay, made out of something called steel. Right. <laughs> and the Prius and a lot of the hybrid cars are made out of paper mache. <laughs> no, they're not made out of paper mache. Might as well be. I'm joking around, folks. Yeah. But uh, you know, but but they are made very light. Why? Because they want to. Uh, you know, the heavier the car is, the worse the gas mileage is. So the lighter. You know, they they, they want to use all sorts of assets that they can that they know about in order to reduce to increase the mileage per gallon. And one way of doing that is to lighten the load in addition to the battery and everything else, using gravity for energy and such. Okay, so, uh, you know, you, you look at that and you say, okay, I don't know if I want this car. In fact, I remember once I took the Prius, uh, the, the one that I had, this again, during my single days, and then uh, I got married and then I had a child. And I told my wife, you know, uh, let's put a, a booster seat in the back for our, our, our kid. And she said, and I'll never forget it. She said, well, you know, those cars may not be as safe. Uh, you, know, so, you know, what I loved about her, my, my liberal wife, is that, you know, her mother instinct overwhelmed her liberalism, which was great. Um, so, it always does. And it should. Thank yes. God, right? So anyway, she said, well, you, you may want to consider, you know, if not doing that, uh, putting the, you know, if you, and if you do want to do it, maybe get a stronger car. Okay. And so I thought, that's ridiculous. You know, I've, I never got in an accident yet with this Prius. And, you know, why should I get in one now? And she's being silly. Anyway, so I'm, I'm driving on PCH, which is a very busy highway for those who are not in Los Angeles. Very busy highway. And, I'm, and there's a right turn. It's not a highway highway, but they, they've got stoplights. And I'm taking, a, sorry, a left turn at a, at a left turn light. And I'm waiting for the left turn light to go. In the meantime, the cars on the left side of the road are whizzing by me, Right. And it's going vroom, vroom, shaking like this. the car. And the car is shaking. I mean, it feels like it's lifting up on one side uh, because of the, the pull of the wind. That's how light this car was. And this is the Prius from the older days, so maybe they make a sturdier Prius. I don't know. I'm talking about 2002, 2003. Anyway, that's what was happening. And I thought to myself, wow, this is a really light car. I had no idea. And after that, I, I think within a week I got a new car. It was a Ford Escape, a uh, pretty solid car. And I put in that booster and I was much happier. In other words, you escaped from a Prius. Yeah, pre yeah so to speak. Yeah. And then sure enough, my next car, which was a, um, uh, what is it called? A, um, a Nissan Pathfinder. A, a nice, sturdy car. Again, a, a, a SUV. We got in a bad accident with that one. Uh, actually, we were just staying still uh, in, in our lane and waiting for the light to turn green. And this guy, uh, he, he had a seizure. And he was in a Jaguar. And he just came plowing at us at an angle uh, right to the side of the car at about 40 miles an hour. And you know what, Ari? We barely felt it. We heard a sound. 
but we barely felt it, it at all. It was like an insect hitting the windshield. Yeah, it, was, it felt like that. It crumpled so well. Our car was so sturdy. And I thanked God that I did not have my, my little tin can uh, that I was riding. So um, I don't know that it would survive very well. And, and I get out, and my two kids are with me. We're all on the way to school. My two young kids, I think they were seven and four. And I, uh, I was getting out of the car to look at the damage. And my son said, uh, where, where are you going, Daddy? <laughs> because I'm getting out of the car in the middle of the street. And I said, we got in an accident. And my son says, we, we did, which I'll never forget. We Best did. sound ever. Best sound ever, right? Yes. I mean, like he didn't even notice that we got in a car. Yeah, yeah and it was God. And it was a total, uh, almost a total. It was, I mean, the, the, the insurance company gave me an option to consider it told uh, or to pay X amount. So we paid the X amount. We wanted to keep the car. And uh, it was pretty cool uh, to, to know that. So anyway, going back to analytical thinking, this is so important. Conservatism makes you a, a, a critical thinker. You are constantly bombarded by liberal claptrap from minimum wage, which nobody thinks about. You know that's the big bugaboo issue for, for me and for you because it's so stupid. It's on its face stupid, right? I mean, if, if $15 an hour is good, then why not $25 an hour? Then why not $100 an hour, right? I mean, presumably, you, know, you, you need to understand at some point it's going to affect the employer, yeah, you know my, the argument I use with people. You were at the dinner where I said to that kid, I think you were there, mm-hmm. how about 20000 an hour? He yeah. goes, well, that's too much. I go, why? Yeah, why? 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 I work one hour. I, I, I work <laughs> four hours. I'm done for the year. <laughs> right. What's wrong with that? And, right. and suddenly it's like the matrix. The, the world around him just melted. Basic questions. You know, that, that's, that's critical thinking is, well, then why not X? Why not Y? Why not Z? Uh, here's another example. Why not price controls, right? Why not... Why not uh, salary caps as well? Like we just talked about that. So, but these things, no one asks about. Okay, and same thing with affirmative action. You know, it, it, affirmative action begs the question, how long have we been engaged in affirmative action? Has the country been engaged in that? About 43 years. Thank you. No, 53 years. It's, it's been around almost as long as I've been alive. Yeah, so we got rid of slavery right. in four. Right. But... We've taken. (laughs) Well, they'll they'll say affirmative action is a good thing, but but okay, it's been around for forty, forty plus, fifty plus years, and then begs the question: What good has it done? Right? Are we seeing improvements one way or the other? And they'll say, yeah, people were forced to go into law schools and such like that, and uh, to to allow people to be in in law schools. Okay, yeah, but what happened to these people? Right? I mean, you, you you send somebody to a law school. Uh, that can't cut it at that law school, then are you really doing that person a favor, right? Now, of course, that doesn't mean the opposite, my friends. It doesn't mean that we're saying you shouldn't give people opportunities. You shouldn't discriminate merely because they're black or merely because they're Hispanic or what, or what have you. Of course not. But that's a different game altogether, isn't it? And so affirmative action you know, begs the question, what are the ripple effects of this? And all you have to say is, are there effects? Are there consequences? That's the hallmark of critical thinking, when at least at least when it comes to social policy, right? And what what we're doing with our kids, your kids and my kids, and a whole bunch of our conservative friends, is that we're making them great critical thinkers. We're asking them, "What do you think? Do you see any problems with minimum wage, son?" And 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 he loves it, and he says, "Well, let me see." Hmm. And I said, "Let me let, let's pretend that you're an employer, son." And uh, you are able to pay, you, you want to pay your employees a lot because you like your employees, and, but you can only pay them $10 an hour, okay? And, you know, otherwise you're not making any money or you might even be losing money. So that's not the purpose. You need to be making money yourself, right? So my son says, yes, that's right. Of course, it makes sense. You don't run a business so you don't make money. All right, great. Now the government tells you you have to pay them $15 an hour. What are you going to do, son? What are you going to do? Are you going to pay them $15 an hour? What's going to happen to you? And, and he says, well, soon your business is going to run out of money, and then you're going to have to close your business. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, or you who own the business are going to spend a lot more time sweeping floors and doing menial labor That's right. because you're the guy who's going to have to do it. And then I said, tell me all the other options. And let's say you don't want to close your, your business. What are you going to do? And then he move came. Move to another state. Well, move to another state 
or fire some employees or uh, automate some, some of the work that they're doing. Or hire illegal aliens under the table. Or all of the above. Or, yeah, some sort of combination. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and are any of those things good, son? <laughs> no. That's right. I mean, like, so he was like, wow, that's just a terrible thing, this minimum wage. And we, same thing with affirmative action, same thing with the global warming thing. And I said, you know, look, I want you to make the, you know, if, if you want to believe in global warming, be my guest. But I just want you to ask the following questions. One, how much are we contributing to it? Okay. Uh, two, are we sure that the temperature gauges that tell us what the temperatures are are actually accurate? Okay. And why do we think that? Three, what period of t- what year are we starting from? Because if we're starting from the end of the little ice age, hint, hint, we are. <laughs> then that's not really a fair measure, right? Because we're we're climbing out of the ice age. But you you would call that global warming? No, you shouldn't be calling. That's not fair. Because if, if the temperature of what, it, of what the Earth was back in the year 1300 is still warmer than what it is today, then I put it to you that we don't have man-made global warming. All right? Um, and then, then I ask, okay, so even if we are contributing massively to it, uh, then what is the damage? What, what's happening here? If it's warming, how, by how much? Right? Is it by 0.1 of a degree? Okay. When are we going to see that 0.1 of a degree? All right, and what is the damage associated with that? It is, are we going to lose, you know, thousands of people, or hundreds, hundred thousand, a million uh, climate refugees, as Al Gore likes to call it? And then finally, uh, tell me how many feet of water we're going we're to be under, okay? And tell me your sources. And then we'll ask one more question, and that is, do you know of anybody who's suffered as a result of climate change? Who has died? Name one person who has died in the, because of climate change. Better yet, if you, don't, if you don't even have that, show me one person who has suffered because of climate change. Okay? And, and don't tell me that this one island, I think, in some, somewhere the in the Seychelles Pacific. The Seychelles or something. Yeah, the yeah. Seychelles, which have natural ebbs and flows and such like that. And if you, want, if you want to point to that, that's fine. But tell me how that's related to global warming, how global warming did that and not some natural trend. Okay? Because we know, for example, that the Bering Strait was so frozen at one point that people walked across it, right? And now, you know, it, it's, it's not passable because it's no longer frozen. It's a little less frozen. Yeah. yeah. So don't play this game with me, okay? Don't tell me that it's that. It's that. Um, and you need to make that causal connection. Then finally, I, I guess there's, there's more coming to mind. If it's true that climate change causes, will cause damage, when will it cause damage? If it's 50 years from now, or 100 years from now, or 200 years from now, okay? Uh, Might there be technological advances that will obviate that problem, that will, just by by sheer force of innovation, that that will change things? For example, worrying about horse poop in the streets, right? It's the same thing as that uh, in the year 1890, right? Whatever shall we do with the growing population and horse poop on the streets? It's going to be a mess. It's going to be... An environmental disaster, don't you know? And then along comes the car. Done. (laughs) Problem solved, right? Might there be a situation like that, my friends? Of course there will be. So, uh, because they only think statically, as we know. And then, even if it's 50 years, 100 years from now, let's say it creates damage. Okay, what is the damage? Is it $10 for the entire planet? Obviously, you would agree with me that if it... If the entire effect of the damage is $10, you would say maybe we shouldn't be changing all of our social structure and systems in order to obviate that $10 damage. You would agree with me that, wouldn't you? Yes, of course. And if the dam- we, we, we can actually calculate the amount of social damage if we do reorient our entire society to address, quote-unquote, climate change, Meaning people living in poverty, people yeah. unemployed, people on welfare because their factory closed, et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera. That we can assess. Yes. Right. Are you, would you agree with me in the balance of things that that's probably a bad idea? Right. So don't you think we need answers to all of these questions before we start demanding, insisting, and, and, and extorting and threatening and compelling people to change their, their, their way of life and to yell at people and to, to engage in, in politics about this thing, and then claiming that it's far worse a problem than Islamic terrorism. Don't you think that 
that we ought to answer these questions. Yeah. Number of people killed by Islamic terrorism. This many. Right. Number of people killed by global warming. Zero. Zero. Exactly. Hmm. That one might be a bigger problem than this one. But it's such yeah. such good and such easy analysis. Yeah, and I, I wanted to throw in one more that I think yeah. we've talked about before, which is the behavior of liberals. How many liberals have sold their beachfront property in Malibu because of global warming? Yeah. For one dollar to get out. I, I was watching um, this uh, documentary on the um, on the city of Venice in Italy. Right. And Venice is getting flooded, right? Not by global warming. It's being flooded because they built it on mud and it's sinking. Right. Okay? Yeah. I Build agree. a heavy Romanesque palazzo on mud. What do you think is going to happen? Right. Long story short, a lot of these mansions, these palazzos, are abandoned. Yeah. And if you want to invest in some Venice real estate, you and I could probably go in and for $5 buy one of these things. Oh, it'd be great. I'd right? love to do it. But there's a reason people don't do it. It's because they know what you buy today is going to be underwater someday. And real estate is supposed to be, as a real estate lawyer, I think you know this, an extraordinarily safe investment. Yeah. Right? You When you buy real property, you buy it with the understanding that it's going to be there some future date, I, right? I, 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 I know I'm overcomplicated. Yeah. But the point is, I haven't seen any liberal sell me their Malibu beachfront property for right. the $10 I've offered them because of global right. warming. Or and I'm price. wondering, based on their behavior, if maybe they don't believe in global warming so much. You don't say. I'm just curious. Because <laughs> I know the guy who owned the Palazzo in the 1800s. If he knew yeah. I was offering him ten dollars, he yeah. would have sold. <laughs> it, it, and it's not even—it doesn't have to be ten dollars. It can be just a reduced, you know, slashed. You know, from their perspective, they know that the that this property, the seaside property, is going to be, you know, twenty feet underwater. So huh, I'm not a sucker, and let's—I'll find me a conservative sucker who will buy this, uh, you know, for a song. So I'll sell it to him for eighty percent of its uh, if its value. Uh, going going value for today, and that conservative fool can buy it. Ha ha! I'm I'm off. It's off my hands, right? You don't see that happening. Yeah, they're not. It just doing doesn't it. happen. Ten dollars or eighty percent off or whatever. It just doesn't happen. It's a great example of how inconsistent the, the behavior of liberals is uh, on this very obvious issue, and uh, and it's it's the same thing, by the way. Minimum wage. Now that we talk about it, uh, from the action, uh, they a, a person a person who's a liberal doesn't believe in, in affirmative action, okay? Who, who owns a business. He doesn't believe in that. He believes in merit. You think that he wants to hire somebody who, they, whom who he doesn't do believe? Job. He can't do the job? <laughs> yeah. You know, but he's, he's interviewing between two people, one who happens to be white, one who happens to be black, and he's choosing the black even though his GPA and his qualifications are less uh, for some sort of social agenda. No, he's not going to do that. Yeah, let's take famous liberal directors, Mike, uh, Michael Moore or Jim Cameron, right? Two yeah. very famous environmental directors. Now, Moore is a documentary filmmaker, so that's different. Well, well no, same analogy. Is Michael Moore going to hire a black cameraman or grip just because he's black if he can't do the job? Right. No. Yeah. Is Jim Cameron going to hire a black actor to play one of his blue Palestinians in an Avatar film right. just because the guy's black if he can't act? No. Well, I'll take you one step further. Steve Jobs. Uh, he, he was notorious. He demanded only the best of the best of the right. best. And, and, and if you were to tell him, you know, sir, we, we, sh we should hire this man because he's black, you know, he, he would look at you with this blank stare. What the F are you talking about? I want the best. And if, if that best happens to be a black person, great. But don't you give me this crap. Right. But we should hire him because he's black. That's it's so obscene. So they don't act consistent with it. And, and this is, again, another way of, of critical thinking. And the beauty of it is it's so easy and to, to do this. And I encourage you, you know, conservative parents, you can fight all day long with the system. I, you may be remotely or moderately successful in doing so. But I, I'm telling you right here and now, you're, you're going to do far better by laughing at the system. Laugh at the system instead of fighting it. Because if you do that, you'll survive better and you'll make your kids stronger all the way. That's, that's the critical thing. And I, I believe that you and I are doing that very well, Ari. We, we poke fun at the liberals. Uh, we say, wow, look at them. This is classic liberal thinking. Well, let me ask you a question. But, but, wait, 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 wait. Okay, uh, that, yes, go ahead. But what the beauty of it is, is it makes them, once you, once you exercise that critical thinking part of their brain, they, they employ it in everything which is wonderful. Don't you want that in your child? You know, and I, I love this because I, I ask all my kids, when they ask me a question that I know that they can answer, they'll say, I'll say, what do you think? 
What do you think? And then they'll say, well, I don't know. And I say, I think you do. And they usually come up with the answer. In fact, they always come up with the answer because I know that they know the answer. It's a simple question like, hey, Dad, why, why does the sun come up, always come up on this side of the, the hill and it always sets on, on that side of the, uh, the, uh, the beach? And then I'll say, what do you think? And then, you know, figure it out for yourself. And they figure it out. Instead of me just telling, well, that's the way it is, right? And it's, it's a little uh, thing that I have with my wife where she's, she always jumps in and, and wants to explain. And I said, no, no, that's not your role as a parent. Your, your role as a parent is to ask them to ask questions, to have them ask questions and to figure out themselves. And, and it's beautiful because they are now so analytical, these guys. That it's a pleasure talking with them. They're like little grown-ups. And I'm during my trip with my older son, you know, he's only 11 years old. We're able to parlay. I talk to him as though he's 18 years old. Whereas I think other parents have to, would treat him like he's a, a seven-year-old because they've been, they, he hasn't, he would not have engaged in all this critical thinking. It applies in every step. I think you're doing it, Ari, very well with your daughters, as young as they are. You know, they're able to see these little nuances and it's good. And here's the last great thing, and then I'll give it to you to talk a little bit more about it. The last great thing that this does is that this, the critical thinking immunizes them against peer pressure. It really does. It's, I mean, think about that, right? If you're already resistant in so many other ways, if you're already out of the norm when it comes to climate change, when it comes to uh, a lot of the you know, recycling, for that matter, or a lot of the liberal policies. Yeah, you're policies. not going to care what the crowd does. Yeah, you don't care what they think. Stupid. I'm already different than you. Yeah. F you. you know, and, and if you want to you know, wear tattoos and such like that, and um, you know, no, no knock on people with tattoos, but you know, we don't believe in it. But they won't feel pressured to wear tattoos. They won't feel pressured to, to wear the skippy dress. They won't feel any pressure to conform. to conform. They won't feel any pressure to engage in groupthink. And they'll be totally comfortable being individuals. Yeah. So, my friends, don't fight the system. Laugh at the system. Yeah. Now, the question I was going to have for you real fast is, what advice do you give now uh, the parents in, say, the San Diego school district where they're indoctrinating kids to Islam? Because I have my own mean little idea, but I want to know what you think. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know what you mean because, first of all, this is the first I'm well, hearing about this. they're getting them to say the Shahada. They're, getting right. them, they're, they're giving them full Islam training oh, under that's easy the for me. rubric that it's uh, an anti-bullying, anti-Islamophobia. Thing. Okay, no, what I would do, and I think what you, well, you tell me what you would do. I would have my kids say the Shema while they're doing it. While everyone else is doing this stupid crap, I would say, say the Shema, which is, you know, the, the Jewish prayer uh, to say, you know, you know, hear Israel, hear, hear oh God, uh, uh, the, the God is, uh, is one, Israel is one. That's the essence of what the Shema is, and that totally counters every, anything with that. That's what I would do. Oh, God, we're so different. Or I would tell them to sit it out and say, this no, is ridiculous. No, no, that's not what I would do. You know what I would do? <laughs> I would bring in Sarah 9-5. Kill the unbelievers wherever you find them. Kill them everywhere. Bring them in with the real jihad. Oh, I see, I see. You know, and then yeah. get into an argument with the teacher that they're not being real, real Islamists. Oh, boy. I, I think that's, you can certainly try that, Ari. I don't think it's doable. Um, I don't, you know, I, I know you're joking around a little no. bit. No. No, you are. No, joking. no, I'm not. But you couldn't do it. Why not? You, you, you can bring these people in. Who? The, the Shirad, whatever you said. The Sarah, you know, the, the, when they're saying the, the, when they're forced to say the Shahada. Yeah. I think that's too nuanced, Ari. I think the best thing to do is to... Scream out, kill the unbelievers everywhere? No, no. I don't think they would understand this. And they would say that you're mocking these people. What you should do is to simply... I thought we're supposed to mock them. Yeah, well, I agree. I agree. But you, you need to, in this case, you need to pull them out of it and you need to be very angry because that's a religious thing. That's very dangerous stuff. That's very dangerous stuff. And I, I would uh, refuse to, to do anything. If, if you're going to be um, requiring people to say that, that Muslim prayer... That's, of course, a violation of the First Amendment. And of course, the ACLU is nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be one. found. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's what you do. you got to fight those things because that's, that's really – that's pure indoctrination in a really evil way, a uh, very dangerous way because you've, you're now basically making these young children into Muslims, yeah, at least in the eyes of the Muslims. Right. You've, what happens is you're by, by proxy converting them, and then when they refuse to be Muslims, now they're seen as apostates who are able to be marked for death based on Surah 9-5. All right, so, so I'll wrap it up this way. Uh, this, this is what I would say, exactly kind of going off on what you're saying. 
if you are if you are um, a critical, critically analytical enough, you would know right away that this is crap up with which you should not put right. This, this, uh, my child, if he were told all of a sudden that he needs to say this Muslim prayer, he would say, to hell with that. I ain't doing that, teacher. Well, you're going to go to the principal's office. I don't give a crap. Send me the principal's office. You ain't seeing me in that mosque. All right? And I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to say a Muslim prayer because I know how it's interpreted by the Muslims themselves. And guess what? I'll do that the day that, that I see my Muslim friends say the Shema. How about that? All right? But that's what my kid would be able to say. Because I know him, and I know my daughter too, they would not follow. And I'm, I'm almost thankful, and this is what we're talking about before, kind of wrapping up everything, is how you learn from your mistakes, you learn from adversity, you become a stronger person. The same thing is true here. As tough as it is being a conservative in a public school system or a private school system in West Los Angeles, you can use it to grow, okay? Just like a sailboat, right? You, you know how to tack, right? If you want to get from point A to point B, notice note where the wind is going, adjust your sails accordingly, and move forward. And use it, use the wind against it itself, even. Okay? That's the same thing here. So while these fools are being letting themselves be brainwashed, our kids are learning a tremendous amount and, and they are growing. And that's the difference. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week. <laughs>